How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to another show. Thanks for showing up again today. You know the one thing I love about working from home? I, I thought you said it working with me. No. Tell me. I love watching daytime talk shows in the background. Like literally Dr. Oz is talking about people who have been attacked by squirrels. And I feel like we should cover that on the show. I'm just saying I'm getting a lot of ideas, which basically I means mean, I'm like stealing ideas. <laughs> well, it's not stealing if it's on another platform. <laughs> yes, it is. That is the actual definition of stealing. <laughs> no, because we all need a show about squirrels on TV. And now we need a show about squirrels on the radio. No, I just think so it's be clear. I just I just think it's funny because when I was younger, I used to think daytime talk shows were meant for old people. And now, guess what? Mm -hmm. Plot twist, I am the old person. I'm here for it, Ryan. Welcome to the club. Yeah. And coming up on the show today, <laughs> what does a radically inclusive church look like? In celebration of Black History Month, Black queer pastor Vanessa Brown is joining us at 5.30 Pacific, 8.30 Eastern to talk more about what she's up to. She's incredible. She's been doing amazing work. Yes. So hang out to listen to that convo. And it's always but, so good to talk about mm -hmm. this, right? Especially talking and bringing that up uh, from my own perm you know, my own personal experience. So. Of course, totally. Plus mental health tips that you shouldn't be listening to right now. <laughs> I hope you, you will stay, stick around to listen to our mental health tips of what you shouldn't be listening to. Get it? Actually, I just left. Well, let's get into what's trending this hour. <laughs> I still see you on Zoom. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki confirms the FBI is investigating a hack and attempted poisoning of the water supply in a Florida town. The FBI and the Secret Service, of course, are undergoing an investigation. Uh, that's something we'd certainly defer to them on any specific details of their findings of that investigation. This is the most Florida thing I've ever like heard. I feel like Florida keeps upping itself. Like, what else is going to come out of Florida? Like, more zombies? Maybe the zombies are that, poisoning actually. the water supply? I don't know. This is crazy. Or they're trying to make people into zombies. I mean, to be honest, Florida's going to kill us all anyway because they don't care about COVID, so... <laughs> you can hate on Ryan for hating on Florida. It wasn't me. I'm just saying I know her co-host, but don't blame it on me, too. Uh, now, a 67-year-old man who is very familiar to authorities wounded five people in a shooting today at the Alina Health Care Clinic in Buffalo, Minnesota. Police received a 911 call about shots fired just before 11 a.m., uh, when officers arrived, they found multiple victims and took the suspect into custody. Officers found a suspicious package in the corner of the health clinic's lobby, according to the county sheriff. Police also found several suspicious devices at a nearby Super 8 motel where the suspect was staying. And the suspect was identified as Gregory Ulrich, who the sheriff said has lived in the area for a long time. He also said the most likely thing about this was it was targeted at that facility or someone within that facility, given the suspect's history of conflict. Now, uh, let's move on to Trump and the impeachment, because, of course, we're bringing you the latest from the impeachment trial today. The last minute letter former President Trump's attorney sent to top lawmakers informing them he would no longer seek a suspension of the trial if it continued through the Sabbath because uh, he is a religious Jew was prompted actually by Trump's own desire to complete the trial without delay. Hours before the impeachment trial was slated to begin, his attorney, David Show explained that he would not participate those days and instead other members of the legal team would handle it. He wrote that he was withdrawing his request because he was concerned about the delay in the proceedings in a process that he recognizes is important to bring to a conclusion for all involved in the country. 
And uh, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Can we talk about something that's actually important here? A major new update to the Britney Spears doc that the internet cannot stop talking about. It is time for the T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. So Britney Spears' boyfriend, Sam Asghari, has entered the conversation. And guess what? He's not holding back. He's telling the world how he really feels about her father, He made his point very loud and clear on his IG saying this. Now, it's important for people to understand that I have zero respect for someone to try uh, trying to control our relationship and constantly throwing obstacles our way. Um, In my opinion, Jamie Spears is a total I'll just say Richard. What's the other word for Richard? Oh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, real quick, before, because TMZ caught up what? with him outside of a grocery store, and he's doubling down. Here's what he had to say. Can you guys ever be on good terms? I hope so. Once he yes. starts treating his daughter right, right, then we can be on good terms. Now, now a lot of fans are, are concerned with Britney after seeing the Hulu doc. Thank you to all the fans. How's Britney doing? Is she okay? She's doing amazing. She's doing amazing. I'm always having her back. Thank you very much. Did, so yeah, this is getting hot, Sheer. You need to hurry up and watch this damn documentary is all I'm saying. I need to. I did watch this clip, and uh, let me tell you what's hot. He is pretty hot, too. Okay, yes, that is a very good point. Um, but I just, I think the questions for me as we wrap this up is, one, does that mean Brittany has seen the documentary? And I'm wondering what she thinks about it. But let us know your thoughts at LGT Show everywhere on social media. And that is your T-Report. I got more coming up next hour. Well, coming up next on the show, everything you need to know from Trump's second impeachment trial. Day one, Ken Charles, program director at KNX, joins us for that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Trump's second impeachment trial begins today. It is day one. And back with us, and I just want to dive right into it. This is Ken Charles, program director at KNX News. Thank you so much for being here again. Always happy. Let's get into a recap of what we've seen so far. Uh, What is your take on everything that's been happening today? I I mean, look, it's not a surprise. The, the, The Democrats' whole case is that the president basically incited the riot that took place at the Capitol, period, end of sentence. And so they don't need witnesses. They don't need to bring other people in. They basically spent today using his words and his tweets to lay out their case. And basically what we've been watching is an entire presentation of everything Trump did, not only that day, but leading up to the day, the whole stop the steal, the election was stolen from me, that whole process, not just that morning, but everything in the months after November 3rd. So I think you should break this down even further, because I think when people thought that they took the vote to one, uh, I guess, to start these impeachment trials, like that was the one thing that they was like, oh, he's already impeached. I, I've been seeing a lot of confusion on like, what does these impeachment trials necessarily mean? Is it a trial to convict Donald Trump or is it just a trial to say he's up- impeached again? Like, what does that look like? All right, so he is impeached, period, end of sentence for the second time. Basically look at what the House did as a grand jury. So they basically impeached him and they filed charges. The charges, the one count, the one article of impeachment, then goes over to the Senate where they have to either convict or acquit him. So no matter what the Senate does, he is impeached, period, end of sentence. He is the only president in U.S. history to be impeached twice. It's really possible he will also be the only president in U.S. US history to be acquitted of impeachment twice. That's, yeah, that is amazing. He's impeached, but now it's like the trial is, do we convict or acquit? Mm, Got it. So today isn't even that part. Today is they're debating, is it constitutional or not for this to move forward? And there's a lot of arguments that it is, and there's very few arguments that it's not. Again, we're talking to Ken Charles, program director at KNX 1070 News. Well, how do you feel about the Democrat strategy? Because it seems like they are getting emotional. They are pulling at the heartstrings. Uh, the lead impeachment manager, Representative Jamie Raskin, had this really emotional speech about his youngest daughter, Tabitha, and his son-in-law, Hank, who were at the U.S. Capitol with him on January 6th when the deadly riot unfolded, a day after the family had buried Raskin's late son, Tommy. So let's just listen to that. I told her how sorry I was 
and I promised her that it would not be like this again the next time she came back to the Capitol with me. And you know what she said? She said, Dad, I don't want to come back to the Capitol. <laughs> of all the terrible, brutal things I saw and I heard on that day, and since then, that one hit me the hardest. So will, will that be enough to get Republicans who are maybe debating them on their side? It seems like moments like these do create an impact, or do they? I think they create an impact with the general public who are paying attention to this. Mm -hmm. If they create an impact in social media, will it sway 17 Republican senators to switch their allegiance to Donald Trump and vote to convict? Highly doubtful. So Jamie Raskin can be as emotional as he wants. He can cry. He can bring up all of those things. But is it enough to change 17 Republican senator minds? I, I just don't think so. Well, I do like what Joe Biden uh, had to say when reporters asked him, would he be tuning in? Here's that moment. Look, I told you before, I have a job. My job is to keep people. We've already lost over 450,000 people. We're going to lose a whole lot more if we don't act and act decisively and quickly. A lot of people, as I said, are going to, a lot of children are going to bed hungry. A lot of families are food insecure. They're in trouble. That's my job. The Senate has their job. They're about to begin it. I'm sure they're going to conduct themselves well. And uh, that's all I'm going to have to say about impeachment. I thought it was really interesting because oftentimes what we saw in the past was Donald Trump glued to the television live tweeting these things, right? And it really shows the dynamic and the shift of Joe Biden saying this is their job to do. But does that also kind of alleviate him of any of the backlash that the Senate may come to a decision that's not the right one, quote unquote? Well, I don't think Joe Biden gets tagged with anything in this other than winning an election on November 3rd, 2020. You know, and so he's staying above the fray. He doesn't want to get into the middle of it. Actually, what you're seeing is, and it's why Trump went through so many attorneys in the process leading up to it, is because he can't live tweet this. You know he's watching this on TV, and you know he's grading his attorneys. Are they arguing the case that I want argued? So his attorneys basically are, you know, substitute for Donald Trump's ability to live tweet this thing like he did the last impeachment trial. Once again, we're so used to the president stepping in on everything. This is like a new dynamic. Uh, Ken Charles from KNX is going to be hanging out with us because after this, uh, in order for the impeachment to get passed, as you mentioned, more Republicans need to be on board. So which one should we be watching? That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. 45 Senate Republicans who voted to dismiss the trial on constitutional grounds have indicated what they intend to hear out of the evidence before making a final decision. Of course, as this trial starts today uh, to impeach former President Trump and back with us is Ken Charles, program director at KNX News. So let's get into this because I find it fascinating to see the notes from reporters and all the updates from the news where they're talking about all the notes that senators are taking and even seeing some doodling. Like, who should we be paying attention to right now in terms of Republicans? Uh, probably Maury Povich. No. You know, I mean, look, there's five Republicans that I think could potentially vote to convict. Um, you know, you've got the usual you know, gang of suspects. You've got Mitt Romney. You've got Lisa Murkowski. You've got Susan Collins. You've got Ben Sass. You know, You've got those four or five, um, Pat Toomey, who's been very vocal about this, you know, uh, especially because Pennsylvania is his state. So you've got those five. The question is, can you get 12 more? And honestly, I don't think there are 12 more on the Senate because, look, I, I hate to say this, but in a lot of cases, Marjorie Greene did get it right. It is Trump's party now. And if it is Trump's party does anybody run, run against him, certainly in 2022 and potentially 2024, whether he chooses to run for president or not in 24 is moot. It's, look, if he comes out and supports in certain districts and in certain states, you're guaranteed to win. So I think they're deathly afraid, not necessarily of Donald Trump, but 75 million people who voted for Donald Trump in 2020. Those are people that they don't want to tick off. And they are absolutely frightened 
that if they vote to convict Donald Trump in this process, not only will he lose those votes, but that the Republicans will try to primary them out and Trump will come out for their opponent and they will lose their cushy seat in the Senate. So, I mean, it's fear of losing their jobs more than anything else that is motivating those other 45 senators to vote the way they're going to vote. That's not fair and that's not impartial. Yeah, it's it's actually quite annoying to me because I think there still are some Republicans, obviously the five that are willing to kind of put their own uh, jobs or their own kind of personal feelings in the back end to do what's right here. They're going to end up basically, you know, fighting for the whatever they think the Republican Party should be. But, you know, CNN is quoting, you know, several GOP senators say nothing can change their mind on the constitutional question that is all being asked. So at the end of the day, I, I always think about this unity. Are we kind of over talking about unity of both parties? That's just never going to exist at this point. I mean, maybe, maybe it's certainly not going to be today. You know, I mean, look, Rob Porter just decided not to run for re-election, so he might be a vote. The key in all of this to me is Mitch McConnell. If Mitch McConnell comes out and tries to rally his party to vote to convict, he might be able to bring some other senators than those five across the aisle to vote for conviction. I don't know if it's enough to get to 17. He doesn't even like to get involved. Yeah, he I loves to talk on the back. Like he loves to put out little quotes here and there. But when it comes to actual action, he never wants to do anything. So that just feels like a lost cause. Well, you're right. Except that the question is, he just wants one reelection. So will he be running at 80 something years old? I believe mm. in 2026, because if he's not, this is really his legacy. No matter mm. what he's done in his years before this, the last four years will be what goes to the grave and the end of Mitch McConnell's potential Senate career, which I don't think he's going to run again in 2026. So that alone may just get him to do what he thinks is the right thing. And look, he's spoken out in an unusual way against what happened and against Trump, where he never did that for the last four years. Could it evolve and change? I guess we'll know in about a week from today. So I guess the final question here is, what is a win for the Democrats and the Republicans? You know, honestly, I, I, I don't think there's any way, no matter what anybody does, that he's convicted. So the win we'll find out on election day, somewhere around 10 o'clock at night, our time, 2022. If the Republicans take the Senate back, you know they won this game. If they lose the Senate and they continue to not control the House, so both stay in control of the Democrats, the Democrats won. We actually won't see what really is a win or a loss until that night, in my opinion. Wow. So it's not even about the trial. It's just about the long-term implications of this. Yeah, we both know. I mean, all three of us know he's not going to be convicted. It would take, I mean, I don't even know what it would take to change 17 Republican minds. So he's going to be acquitted. So what's the win? I mean, then you could say, okay, Republicans won and Democrats lost, but that's really short-sighted to me. It's election day 2022. If the Dems continue to hold on the day after election day, the House and the Senate, they won this battle. If they lose one or both, they absolutely lost. And Charles, Program Director at KNX News, thank you so much for being here. Always a pleasure. You bet. For more, go to KNX1070.com. We love those guys. Coming up on the show, why turning off your cameras on Zoom could help save the environment. It's true. So we're basically ruining the environment right now, guys. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. The new Channel Q. No longer is it just cars, pollution, the industrial complex ruining the environment, but social media and our use of tech. Yes, your doom scrolling TikToks and Zoom are ruining the environment. Who knew? I mean, I actually had no clue about this. And I, I feel like I am a leader in this because I rarely, you know, I'll pop onto our Zoom conversations and I'll just turn off my camera. And I just had no clue that now I'm Greta Thunberg. I mean, who knew? Uh, the row, 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 your boat queen is here on Let's Go There. Thank you. So th- 
this is the thing. This article caught my attention because Ryan here will not necessarily always be on camera. Mm -hmm. And so the joke was when I saw this, because it said the solution to all of this is for us to all turn off our cameras on Zoom. So I was like, Ryan, you're an environmental leader now. I mean, I, I'm always, I've always been a trendsetter. Um, you know, I knew that this was really impacting our environment. But I want I'm you to sure. let everyone know how this is impacting us. Well, yeah, so let's get into this uh, because this is real, actually. It's not a joke. Yeah. A new study says that despite a record drop in global carbon emissions in 2020, our shift to remote work and working at home with all the entertainment we do and the technology, it actually is a significant a significant environmental impact because of how internet data is stored and transferred around the world. So here it goes to explain this. Just one hour of video conferencing or streaming. And how many hours do we do a day, Ryan? Like we are whole. Oh my God. It's about, it's about a six to seven hour day. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm the person that got an electric specifically because I wanted to do better. Like I, I am vegan, vegetarian. I use all, um, oat milk, not almond milk because that's supposedly bad for the environment. Well, too. okay, I mean, I'm confused. Yeah, really right. quick, just to break this down, is it because like where our chargers are normally plugged up to the wall? Is it is it just like this mysterious like I don't know smoke that's coming from our computer screens and we can't see it? Like what is it that's impacting it? Well, supposedly the streaming and video conferencing emits carbon dioxide, um, a ga a gallon of gal gasoline, basically burn from a car emits about 8,887 grams. So we're emitting like so much more just doing what we do. Wow. It requires water and it demands actually land area adding up to the size of an iPad mini. So all of that creates a bit of a carbon footprint. So leaving your camera off during a web call can reduce these footprints by 96%. That's huge. So basically all the bad that you would do doing all this stuff would be reduced heavily if you just turned off your camera. And guess what? That would help you too, because you don't need to get yourself too uh, made up, even though we're barely made up doing this. I basically rolled out of bed today. <laughs> so shows. they also say- It most definitely shows. <laughs> Someone else needs to turn their camera off. <laughs> so this guy, this guy said banking systems tell you the positive environmental impact of going paperless, right? Even that we think, oh, we're doing well, but no one tells you the benefit of turning off your camera or reducing your streaming quality. So without your consent, these platforms are increasing your environmental footprint. So basically this is another way you can choose to help the environment right now. Uh, and who knew that, all that use of all this stuff not only is like ruining our brains, but also the environment. So this might be the next activism movement. I'm just saying. Now coming up next, another iconic gay bar is crowdfunding to stay alive during the pandemic. Details next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show at 5.30 Pacific, 8.30 Eastern, a queer pastor is joining us to share how she is building a radically inclusive church. Uh, plus, we've got more on the impeachment trials with KNX News. So stick around with us for all of that. And I love that we're finding super creative ways of celebrating Black History Month um, mm -hmm. because that's been always my pet peeve, like just doing the same old thing all the time. But I'm, I'm happy that we're touching on different um, amazing people, Black folks, just doing really great, cool things. Yeah, definitely. And she definitely has an amazing story. But let's get into some what's trending this hour. Jeff Zients, who's a White House COVID response coordinator, announced a 28% increase in vaccine supply going to states. When we came into office three weeks ago, the weekly delivery was 8.6 million doses. And today we're announcing that we, we will increase weekly vaccine doses going to states, tribes, and territories to 11 million. So that is a total of a 28% increase in vaccine supply across the first three weeks. And that brings weekly doses delivered to states, tribes, and territories to 11 million. Of course, uh, our goal is 100 million. So still short on that, but we're getting there. I mean, yes, short on that, for sure. Now, the San Francisco Mayor London Breed announced that teachers, emergency service workers, and food and agricultural workers in San Francisco will be eligible to receive the vaccine beginning February 24th. Reed later added that the city now has the capacity to deliver over 10,000 vaccines a day, 
up from the city's current average of 4,300 vaccines a day. So little by little, we are getting there. Oh my God, we have to do a segment on this super interesting thing that I saw. There are COVID vaccine scams. Like people are literally calling folks trying to schedule vaccine appointments, but taking their personal information. Oh my God, we're going to cover it here because it's awful. Um, But it's also really interesting how people will find a way to make some money and scam off of anything. No, like what is the psychology behind that? Like what makes people want to do that and be okay with it? And like go to bed at night and go to their families. Like I had a great day today. I scammed like 10 people. Yeah. Really one old person that did not know what was coming. It's like it's literally so awful. It's so awful. It is. And finally, uh, the new Jalisco Bar has launched a crowdfunding campaign in order to stay afloat during the pandemic. This is a bar in downtown Los Angeles. A GoFundMe created by co-owners Rosa and Sergio Hernandez said the LGBTQ plus watering hole in L.A. is struggling to stay alive because of unpaid business and rent obligations. Unfortunately, they said we now owe our landlord 10 months of rent with interest. That's like what really hurts me is that it's hard enough like that they can't pay rent. Adding interest, really? Really? I mean, uh, I'm telling you, yeah. everybody is trying to to make some money. It's of like course. ridiculous. But then also the landlord needs to pay bills too. So it's a domino effect. This debt puts us at risk of closing down permanently. The new Jalisco bar was taken over by the Hernandez family in the 90s. The venue has been a longstanding gathering place for the Latinx LGBTQ plus community in downtown LA. So go support them on GoFundMe right now. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so this might be my actual favorite story that I'm doing this show. Um, Did Kim Kardashian and her daughter Northwest just take credit for a Bob Ross painting? (laughs) It's time for your tea report. I know it's these pop culture stories trending right now. So here's how it started. I'm about to break this down for you. Kim Kardashian showed off an impressive painting on her Instagram story and claimed that Northwest was the artist behind it. I mean, when I tell you this painting was absolutely stunning, you're like, I'm just shocked. I was initially shocked that Northwest even had any of that type of talent. Um, But apparently, yes, she said, yeah, she painted it. Well, the internet immediately called BS and people started drawing comparisons saying, uh, this one person tweeted, I'm supposed to work, but I can't stop thinking about how Northwest did not paint this. So Kim, of course, responded to Ross Gate. I pinged it, I'm calling it that, by saying this, don't play with my children when it comes to me and my children. Uh, My daughter and her best friend have been taking a serious oil painting class where their talents and creativity are being encouraged and uh, nurtured. Um, She also said North worked incredibly hard on her painting. She says, as a proud mom, I wanted to share her work with everyone. How dare you see children doing awesome things and then try to accuse them of not being awesome. What do you think, Shira? Did you see it? Yeah, I just saw it. (laughs) This is ridiculous to act like she didn't paint it like kim would really go out of her way to like add a digital painting to make her daughter look better no like, but they're what? saying she like she literally uh they were saying that she photoshopped uh north photoshopped her signature so meaning north tried to <laughs> to scam uh, everybody scam, well her mom really and then her mom scammed all of us like that's what it comes down to and actually that would be hilarious if north knew like her mom would post it and trolled all of us <laughs> No, honestly, I think everyone should go decide for themselves. Head over to our Instagram at LGT Show to see oh, okay. Little Miss Picasso's painting that's getting all of this attention. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't think she, you know, they would fake it, but I thought it was hilarious that Kim signed her children and her best friend up to a serious oil painting <laughs> class. She's like five. What are you doing here, people? I think she's older than yeah, that. Yeah, but course. what if like the teacher did it for her? <laughs> <laughs> That's your tea report, y'all. I got more coming up next hour. Now, what happens when all the rent comes due? We just talked about this before this with the restaurants and bars closing here in L.A. or almost shutting down. What some people might do to escape huge amounts of debt. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. The new Channel Q. Millions of Americans, especially low-income tenants, are accumulating debt amid the pandemic, threatening to create a downward financial spiral. I mean, it feels like we're talking about this like every month or so, every time we're almost at a bill that's going to be passed or they 
basically move the moratoriums and it feels like a dangling carrot. And I can't imagine what it's like to be in that situation and the long-term impacts. Here to help us navigate this and answer some questions is Ana Grande, who's an Associate Executive Director of the nonprofit Breezy Foundation in Los Angeles. Thanks for being here. No, thank you for having me. Well, let's talk about the Breezy Foundation and how it relates to this conversation, because I'm sure you've been working with a lot of families and individuals in need right now. Sure. So we were founded in 1982. We are based out of central Los Angeles, helping neighborhoods like Koreatown, East Hollywood, MacArthur Park, Westlake. Yes, um, my neighborhood. Pico Union. <laughs> Come on over. Um, so anybody who walks through our doors, really, as long as they are in L.A., we're able to help or at least um, find resources and skills, as well as relationships, right? That's part of our mission. Um, so over the last year since the pandemic hit, um, we are part of a um, a network of family source centers throughout the city of Los Angeles. And we are contracted through the city of LA to provide specific assistance around emergencies like this one or any like regular emergencies without a pandemic. Uh, on a regular year, we see about 3,700 families. Last year alone, we uh, reached close to 8,000 families uh, between March and December. Uh, so we have been in the thick of it with the other 16 agencies that provide similar work. And one of the things that we constantly see is the cry for help around rental assistance. You know, and it just, it's heartbreaking. Uh, most of us have been losing a lot of sleep, um, a lot of, um, you know, vicarious trauma because we hear the stories of people either passing away because of COVID, dying, um, or uh, losing their jobs, being able to, su to sustain their, their livelihood because of what's happening at this point. And of course, you know, at, at the verge of all this is the rent. What are we going to do about it? Yeah, and it's uh, one of the most damaging things, I feel like. Research from Moody's Analytics and the Urban Institute estimates 9.4 million U.S. renter households owed an average of $5,586 in back rent, utilities, and related late fees as of January. Um, how do you bounce back from that? Because even with, you know, resources that you're giving, it feels like there's when you're in your when you're deep in the hole, there's no way of kind of digging yourself out of it. Oh, absolutely. I, I completely agree. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys remember, but when we had the 94 earthquake, um, I actually lost my own home. Um, wow. I was living in an apartment unit. I was 14 at the time. <laughs> I'm aging myself right now. Um, but you know, I think that the, the story is like, yeah, we, we will lose things, you know, we will lose the, the sense of safety for a while. But as humanity and as a society, I think we're also very resilient mm -hmm. um, as long as we're able to also ask for help. I know that the mayor's office has done a, a pretty darn good job, right, with the various resources that they have in trying to make sure that people stay in homes. And remember that, you know, when we're talking about rent, this is statewide and in, in, in national policies that also guide us in what's happening right at the local level. So we're always very quick to point the finger. Um, and, you know, we have the right to be. We want to, to, to make sure that somebody's listening to our agony. Um, but we, we can get out of this. It's just going to take us a lot longer because unlike an earthquake, which is only a few seconds, right, this has now lasted over a year. Yeah, Anna Grande, again, is with us from the Breezy Foundation in Los Angeles. But that said, while they could push all this, uh, there's still either people that are going to have to pay this off when this is done. Where does that leave people? It just doesn't seem realistic that already with them not having any money, they would be able to pay this off. And then it just people are accumulating more debt. Absolutely. Um, you're going to see people steeped in poverty for a very long time. Uh, you know, we're calculating 10, 15 years. So we're seeing a lot of people trying to leave the state at this point. Or you're, you might, we might. That's the solution. The, the Just leave the states. Wow. Yeah. A, a lot okay. of them are. Uh, I'm not saying everybody, but most of them are because how do you pay that back? You that know, is it's, true. Going, it's going to ruin you. 
Um, you know, we see $10,000 worth of back pay. Some of them are more. Um, people are still being evicted, even though there's a moratorium. So you just have like so many, you know, contradictions <laughs> and, and tensions pulling you in every which direction. Yeah, well, that was Ana Grande, Associate Executive Director of the Nonprofit Breezy Foundation in Los Angeles. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. And by the way, in California, they bar landlords from using rent debt accrued between March 2020 and June of this year to deny future housing, if that's also a fear. Now coming up on the show, what does a radically inclusive church look like? A pastor joins us after this to share how she created one for others, but also for herself. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. In celebration of Black History Month, we are highlighting Black-owned organizations and individuals creating more inclusive communities. Rivers of Living Water Ministries is one of those spaces. It's a radically inclusive ministry located in Harlem and Newark, New Jersey. And right now, Pastor Vanessa Brown is with us right now. Thank you so much for being here. It's such an honor. So great to be here with you. I am excited about this opportunity, Shira, to be in conversation with you. So tell us more about what makes your ministry so unique. Honestly, if I have to tell the truth, it's no longer unique. It used to be when I first started, right? It was when I first started, it was 14 years ago. And it was very unique, right? To have an open and affirming, uh, inclusive ministry of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and gender nonconforming people, which we wasn't even using GNC at that time, you know, so terminology started evolving and changing. But all of these things coming into the mix 14 years ago was an anomaly, right? The bottom line was that people were not interested in black people having an affirming church. And I've gotten most of my pushback from black people mm-hmm. in, from start to finish, right? Just trying to find a space for us in the beginning where we were going to be, you know, shift around um, because people did not want to have um, an LGBTQI affirming church in their building, right? That was a major push for me to just find a space. Mm -hmm. Um, Finally, finding a space, um, being able to live among the AMEs, which is African Methodist Episcopal, using their annex building. I was there for several years. I merged with another church in the Bronx. We had our space there for years. Came back to Harlem um, and being because we grew out of the space in the Bronx. So we came back to Harlem um, into a a bigger space, but this space belonged to a church. They were congregationalist. And every time they went to have their vote, it was 50, 50. Hmm. And so I felt like I was splitting these people's church, right? My church is growing. Their church is falling apart because there's all this tension because there's an LGBTQI congregation in this building. So that became a thing. Um, And then, you know, as we began to grow and expand, they wanted more money. But that was just also a way of, you know, Mm. trying to push us out. And I'm like, okay, we're not going to pay this kind of money to you all. We're going to find our own place. We ended up spending a day at a Baptist church um, up in the Bronx and then um, spending a Sunday rather at a Baptist church up in the Bronx. And then the following week, we were back in our old location in Harlem uh, using their... um, their cafeteria area because they weren't using their kitchen. So we were able to use the cafeteria area to have major services. And I bought B Slade in and so many different ones, but in the cafeteria, cause that's where we had to be. Right. So now I'm back. Um, now I'm on 86th street between Broadway and Weston with some white United Methodist people <laughs> who are wonderful. Yeah. Right. So like, I, I believe in like, listen, we're not going to close this church down because folks don't want to give us space some kind of way. God is going to make room for us because mm-hmm. it's too expensive to buy a building in New York City. What's going to happen? So, yeah, they opened a way. Pastor Brown, I think spirituality and religion can be very triggering for queer folks. Um, I, I think for me, I grew up in the South and everyone listening knows my background, but I was heavily in the church. Um, and I think one of the things a lot of times, you know, queer folks feel is like they're not seen, they're not supposed to be in these spaces. So what was important for you in creating your space and creating a space of worship for queer individuals to feel welcomed? Like, what was the importance that went into that? I can tell right now, just from our conversation, Ryan, that there is, I'm 50 years old. You've got to be at least 25. Oh my God, thank you. So even the terminologies that we're even using now, 
are completely different from terminologies that I would have used. So queer was not even a word that I used 14 years ago. I just always use lesbian, bisexual, transgender, yeah. gay, straight, those, right? So mm -hmm. we start evolving. Even the Q was not queer, then the Q was questioning. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So so many, I can, I can go on and on. But I think that me starting this church was just about saying for me, there has to be a place for me because mm -hmm. I'm a black, lesbian, clergy woman. None of that can be found in the Bible. Where is it? There is no text for it. There's no scripture, which means that I had to write myself and graph myself into the text. Mm. That was the only way that I was going to be able to exist, right? Doing the work that I know I've been called to do was to engraft myself. And I said, if that's the only way that I can find myself and that that's what I'm going to have to do, then guess what? We're going to have to create a space that many others like me are going to be able to have to do that, right? I'm like you. I grew up in church, born and raised, directed to choirs, you know, singing, la la la, you know, hanging out with older folks, much too older for me to be hanging out with, <laughs> learning stuff I ain't had no business learning in church. Yeah. Everything, Ryan, that I know, everything, okay, including sex and, and drinking, I learned in church. I did not learn that in the street. I learned in church from church folk. Hello. Yeah. Look at that. Well, if you don't see it, create it, which is really the message here. That's the bottom line. Uh, again, we're talking to Pastor Vanessa Brown. After this, I, I just want to get into how you're addressing the problem of LGBTQIA plus teen homelessness through your church. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Pastor Vanessa Brown is back with us. We are talking about her church, Rivers of Living Water. It's a radically inclusive ministry, so needed right now in Harlem and Newark, New Jersey. Uh, now, a big part of this is also you addressing the problem of LGBTQIA plus teen homelessness. And how are you doing that through your community and your space? So one of the things I think is important for us to do is that we have to engage in non-punitive, culturally competent conversations around sex right we've not been able to do that we don't have to understand you don't have to support you don't have to approve the things that people do when they do what they do but we do need to help our young people become agents of sexual literacy mm -hmm. and i think that that's important so that's what i have been working on getting young people to become agents of sexual literacy what does that mean having sexual literacy skills that demystify sex why yeah. can't we talk about sex in church why can't we talk about sex in church I, I would just really quickly, I, I saw a kid and we were in a store and the person in the store had a midriff shirt on. Mm -hmm. And she said, that's nasty. And I said, where did you learn that from? Where did you learn that somebody showing their belly was nasty? How come that's nasty? Right. Mm. So a lot of this also starts off with how you grow up yeah. and how you grow up in terms of in your house with conversations around sex. And is everything shameful, right? Because I know everything was shameful for me growing up. Everything, cover everything, just everything. Just ashamed of your body, ashamed of just, don't let nobody see this, don't let nobody see that, right? That's just like all I've ever heard. But why are we doing this, right? So these are how conversations need to start. We need to have conversations about sexual literacy that do mystify sex. The other thing that the black church needs to do and any church that's trying to become affirming, I feel like they need theological literacy. Our young people need to learn to harmonize their bodies and their spirits. Mm. And if you can harmonize your body and your spirit, then you can have the vertical axis that you need in terms of a relationship with the universe or God or whatever you want to call the God of your understanding. And I think the last thing that I've been working on <clears throat> in terms of building a church and, and still, in, still building because it never stops is justice literacy. And particularly in this pandemic, you know, it's about empowering people, unlocking, you know, secret doors of uh, uh, and oppor open opportunities to facilitate conversations about dysfunctions, right? Dysfunctions that we cannot name. This is a good time to start talking about dysfunctions in our family and our faith-based organizations and our communities that include incest and molestation and rape and child abuse and abuse by clergy and sex for money and all those things. So this is how I started, right? I, I had three tier step 
and I work within those frames. So it's theological justice, it's sexual literacy, I'm sorry, sexual literacy, theological literacy, and justice literacy. Yeah, and I just think also about like all of the queer youth, especially in the middle of a pandemic, who have nowhere to go or just they're Absolutely. not feeling safe in their own spaces. Mm-hmm. So how can they go about looking for resources like the ones you're offering and even, you know, wanting to get into more spiritual practices? What do you recommend? So the, everything that we offer at Rivers is all free. So any kind of programming that we have is all virtual. We have counselors that are in a room ready to sit with you if you want to discuss anything, whatever's going on during this pandemic. If you are homeless and you don't have a space to stay, place to stay, there are several routes that we can take being that we're in New York City, New Jersey area. I refer people to where they need to go. I don't try to act like I know everything. Again, uh, Pastor Brown is from uh, River of Living Water Ministries, a radically inclusive ministry in Harlem and New York, New Jersey. Thanks again for being here. Thank you both. I appreciate it. Now coming up on the show, Kellyanne Conway's daughter, Claudia Conway, has auditioned for American Idol. The uh, interesting clip next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. The new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, the questions you should be asking when you're trying to figure out if your therapist is right for you. Uh, Plus, what happened at the first day of Trump's second impeachment trial? We've got Ken Charles, our favorite program director, besides, of course, Brian Hall, who's our program director uh, at KNX News, joining us for that. Oh, my God. You are such a teacher's pet. It's so (laughs) annoying. Oh, shut your. (laughs) She's like the the kid in school that would be like, oh, my God, you forgot to assign us homework and literally get the whole class assigned homework. No, no, no. I was not that person. I was more the person that would be like, how are you doing? How's your life? Like, (laughs) you actually acknowledge that teachers were people. (laughs) Yes, basically. (laughs) No, because when you're you're young, you don't think like that. You think it's so weird seeing your teacher at the grocery store. It's like, what? No, uh, no, I know. Uh, We should talk about that another time. Yeah, that's that's an offline conversation. Yeah, Anyway, let's uh, get into some what's trending this hour. A helicopter pilot's spatial disorientation played a key role in the crash that killed basketball legend Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and several friends last year. Federal authorities have announced that today. The 41-year-old L.A. Lakers icon, Gianna Bryant, who was 13, and seven others died on a cloudy January 26th morning near the Southern California coast when their helicopter slammed into a hillside in Calabasas, stunning pretty much everyone. Uh, Here's the National Transportation Safety Board discussing that today. The probable cause of this accident was the pilot's decision to continue flight under visual flight rules and to instrument meteorological conditions, which resulted in the pilot's spatial disorientation and loss of control. Contributing to the accident was the pilot's likely self-induced pressure and the pilot's plane continuation bias, which adversely affected his decision-making and Island Express Helicopters' inadequate review and oversight of its safety management processes. Now, Zabayan was the chief pilot for Island Express Helicopters and had 8,500 hours of flight experience and had about 10 years experience of flying in the area where the craft crashed uh, and during the hearing outlining the likely cause of the crash that was all revealed today. So again, Mm. really unfortunate, not surprising as this was seen, but now at least there's confirmation. Yeah, I mean, we had another foggy day here recently in uh, L.A., and it just makes you, every time, it's like fog is connected to that, because it's just, it was a foggy day, and nobody had any business being in a helicopter, but wow, so many details coming out. It's crazy. And they really outlined how he, at every point, made possibly the wrong decision, which was really unfortunate. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Now, former U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Nikki Haley is outraged that President Biden took steps last month to protect transgender students from discrimination. In an op-ed for the conservative magazine National Review, the former governor of South Carolina called transgender girls biological boys and said that conservatives are not bigots for opposing equal rights for transgender students. In his first days in office, as we know, Biden signed an executive order that told executive agencies to protect LGBTQ people from discrimination in areas of the law that already banned discrimination based on sex. Now, uh, 
TERFs, trans-exclusionary radical feminists, and conservative Christians have blasted the executive order. And Haley, who converted to Christianity in 1997, is using feminist rhetoric to attack trans girls. Yeah, that's what they all do. And honestly, I hate every time they say, like, Nikki Haley is going to be, like, the she might end up being the first woman Republican president ever. And it's just like, girl, this is, it's never going to happen. And I I hate that we continue to have this turf rhetoric and just this attack on children. It's ridiculous. Like, mind your business. It's not affecting you. And it's also, data-wise, it's not even there. Like, you can they're going off of their own biases. It makes no sense. Yeah, there, someone needs to come up with a report just to like end this whole thing for good. You know, just a real unbiased report of this besides the fact that it's just discri- discrimination, clearly. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right. So if you are on TikTok, then you may have already known this news I'm about to talk about. It is time for your tea report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. And yes, if you were on TikTok, you probably already knew because also we talked about it here. Mm-hmm. Kellyanne Conway's daughter, Claudia, um, she's going to be on American Idol. She's auditioning for uh, this season. And we finally have the first little tease of the moment. Here you go. Very nervous, but very excited. She's a social media sensation. I'm Claudia Conway. My parents are high-profile political figures. But will she get a ticket to Hollywood? We want an American Idol. So one thing. It's really weird that they called her a a social media sensation. I guess that is what she is, but it just feels like weird. And then they said that she just had high profile political parents. It's just what is going on in the Conway household, in my opinion? It just makes no sense. But the real question is, do you Mm -hmm. think she will make it to Hollywood? I'm not sure. We know it would make for good TV. And sometimes these reality shows will do that, knowing that she's not going to make it to like the finals, right? So... I would say she might. All right. Well, we'll have to see. Um, Of course, that's premiering very, very soon. Um, But I got to tell you about something else really quick as we wrap up the T-Report. We have your chance to win your way into an exclusive pay-per-view, a concert special with Max. Uh, We've interviewed him on the show before, and he has a new Color Vision Deluxe experience on Saturday, February 27th, 2021, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Head over to Weird Channel Q for your chance to enter right now and all the information's there. So go ahead and check it out, honey. Well, coming up on the show, common mental health advice we should actually ignore right now. You'll want to hang out for that and take some notes. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Mental health has been a central focus for all of us during the pandemic, but there are some things that you might be getting told that some experts say you should be ignoring. And some of these I was actually surprised about. And joining us right now is Jessica Meister, who's a clinical social worker with advanced training in psychotherapy and psychoanalysis. Thanks for being here. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. I guess I want to start with social media because this is one of the things they said. A lot of people, specifically mental health professionals, say to stay off of social media. But why is that something that we should ignore? Well, I think that we're in these, I know everyone's sick of hearing this word, unprecedented times. But, you know, perhaps like in our normal life, non-pandemic life, it could be good to limit that screen time. Um, but I think in this in this time, these that are so challenging and so isolating, Um, where we're all home and we're having so much less access to people and to each other that, you know, it, there are times to ignore that because some people that's how they're connecting to the outside world and that's how they're sharing and, and engaging. And so there's some element of that that's actually been helpful, I think, during the pandemic. We have uh, collective PTSD from the emotions that we were feeling last year. But really, should we be bringing that energy into this year? And could that really help us to uh, have better mental health this year and how we look at it? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the challenging things about going into the new year that that I was thinking about a lot was just that was all the pressure and expectation for 2021. So I think it's being careful about how you enter into that, like, you know, on January 1, 2021, is everything going to be so different and so much better than before? And just being able to acknowledge that we're still moving through things, you know, and that's okay. But that there's also hope for things to be different too, you know? 
Yeah. And why would a positive mindset not be good or focusing on the positive? Well, I think anytime we put so much pressure on ourselves to, to feel a certain way and we set these expectations up for ourselves, we then feel, we feel this sense of failure and disappointment when we don't reach that place or we don't feel that way all the time. And so it, in a way, we're kind of setting ourselves up to feel worse. And it can be really healthy to accept and acknowledge like your present state right where you are and for that to be okay too. Yeah. Acceptance. I mean, I'm going through a lot of that where I'm dealing with the reality that I like to control things. (laughs) And then it could be hard if the reality isn't what I thought in my head. Right. And there goes the... uh, I guess, destruction of my positive mindset. And then I'm right away going into the negative and spiraling. Absolutely. And I think just one more key thing about like acceptance and acknowledgement of where you are rather than this, like sometimes almost toxic positivity is that, you know, for some people, no matter what they do, they aren't going to feel better. You know, like even if they get up and they go for a run or they do the meditation, they just may not be feeling good that day. And so again, It feels like when you tell someone to just, you know, be positive or be okay, that they they feel a sense of failure when they can't reach that, you know? Again, we're talking to Jessica Meister, who's a clinical uh, social worker right now, all about the mental health advice we should actually ignore right now. And I thought this was interesting because we talk a lot about therapy on this show. And one of the the things that we should kind of ignore, according to this, is seeing any therapist. What, how, why should people be careful about the therapist that they choose to see? Well, I think it, it's all about the relationship between two people. And again, you might find a therapist who might be telling you some of the things that I'm telling you to ignore. So, and that might not be such a good fit, right? And so you, it's really all about the fit and not so much to not see a therapist, but to really find someone that you connect with. And that again, can give you that space, the space to be where you are and to allow yourself to accept and, and feel all the feelings you're having. What are the questions you should ask a therapist that when you're interviewing them? Because it is kind of like dating. And a lot of people don't realize that. They'll have one appointment and they're like, I don't like this person. Therapy isn't for me, but there should be a process, right? Absolutely. And, and I think the biggest part of the process is probably this like intangible, untouchable piece, which is just like how it feels when you're talking to them and what the fit and connection feel like. And I think you can actually feel that fairly quickly. But a good question to ask is just, and it's a broad question, but just like, what is their approach to therapy, right? So is it like a tools-based approach or are they more relational? Um, You know, are they time limited? Are they, so just really wanting to get in there and ask them about their approach to therapy. Yeah, and it's okay if you have one appointment and you don't like them. That You shouldn't use that as an excuse not to do therapy at all because a lot of people do that <laughs> also. No, absolutely not. I think there's so many therapists out there. And, and honestly, um, there can be a great therapist that just isn't the right fit for you. And so it's so important to know that just because you have one session that doesn't feel like what you were hoping for it to feel like, there's still someone out there for you that's probably the right person. Yeah, just like relationships. Okay, that was Jessica Meister, who's a clinical social worker with advanced training in psychotherapy psychoanalysis. Thanks again for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yaz Queen of the day. Yes, Queen. You know who I think is a power couple who I love, Ryan? Why? Who? Steph and Aisha Curry. I'm, really? Yeah, I really like them. Oh, okay. This is a positive story, Ryan. Since the onset of the pandemic, the couple has provided 15 million free meals to Bay Area individuals through their foundation. 15 million. That is crazy. Their foundation is called Eat, Learn, Play, and they've been collaborating with over 130 struggling restaurants and food adjacent businesses, paying them to prepare free, nutritious, and delicious meals for family and the underemployed. The foundation's mission is committed to unlocking the amazing potential of every child by fighting to end childhood hunger, ensuring students have access to quality education, and providing safe spaces for all children to play and be active. 
That's so sweet. And because of that, uh, Chef Jose Andres also, and the foundation is involved, uh, have given $20 million back into the local economy and jobs have returned to 900 Oakland service industry workers. I mean, they're doing more than the government. So that's our, our Yaz Queen of the Day. Again, Jose Andres, who always does amazing stuff, and the Curry family. I love this. This is absolutely, it is cute. You know, I don't know if they're like couple goes, but they're very, very cute and somewhat call them couple goes. So yes, Queen, they get it. Don't hate just because you're single. Okay, Ryan. Uh, says the girl who was just in a relationship two seconds ago or who just I got to a relationship. Am, unless I've annoyed him already, which might be the case. I think you have. <laughs> and that does it for our show today. Always ending on a high note. Mm-hmm. We are back tomorrow, same time, 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern, live right here on Channel Q. On the show tomorrow, we're talking about the art of the public political apology, and we're going to be looking into if it has officially died. Plus, is your home state LGBTQ friendly? We'll tell you how your state measures up. That and more on tomorrow's show. Of course, more impeachment trial news, too. And if you miss any of our shows or interviews, just go to listen to our podcast. Join our podcast family. Go to the radio.com app and search Let's Go There and where podcasts are available, it's that easy. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. And uh, stick around for Love Line right after this with Dr. Chris. Have a great night. Bye, y'all.